This morning, as we had our prelude, the orchestra played, I'm going to tell the world that I'm a Christian. And that particular song is a great song for what we're going to look at today in God's word. It is the parable of two sons. Now, this is a parable that's often misunderstood. The summary of it is uh, quite uh, simple. It's there before you. And this is the parable that we are going to look at today. But in order to understand this parable, I want uh, to make it as simple as possible. So let me give you a little parable or a little something to think about. Most parents and those of you that have been children, and that's all of us here, they're familiar with the attitude that we find in today's parable, the text that we are going to look at, where you ask your son or your daughter, hey, son, how about helping dad out today with the grass, cutting it and edging it? Well, your oldest son looks up and says, you gotta be kidding, dad. Are you out of your mind? I've got so many things that I must do. I'm not going to do that. And so you make the same request to the younger child, and the younger child says, yeah, no problem, Dad. I'll take care of that. Don't worry. I'd love to help you and love to be part of this chore. Don't worry. But Monday morning, as you're getting in the car to set off for work, you look at the grass, and it's longer than ever. You look at the edging and it's a disgrace to the neighborhood. You look at the whole project and you're thinking, wow, this looks terrible. But to your surprise, you come home Monday evening from work and what do you know? Your lawn looks like the lawn of the week. Everything has been taken care of. It looks so beautiful and you are so excited to see that someone took care of your lawn and you find out it was sun number one. Son number one, who spoke to you in such a way that it was so derogatory. No, I've got things to do. I cannot do that. But you find out that son number one felt bad about talking to you that way. He was probably fearful of the consequences. He knew that sooner or later he would have to pay for the fact that he did not get involved He even wants to apologize to you and talk it over with you so he doesn't have to worry about his relationship with you. Well, in this illustration, neither of these two sons that I talked about are anything to brag about. And that's true enough when you transplant the parable into our own culture, what I have just shared with you. It's even more obvious that your sons are nothing to brag about in the Middle Eastern culture where the setting of our text takes place today. We're saying no to your father in that culture, in that setting would be like saying to your dad, drop dead, dad. Don't ask that of me. There's nothing particularly impressive about either one of these sons. Jesus' authority was being questioned by the religious leaders. He was asked, how can you do these things and what name do you do them in? And the Lord stops in Matthew, the 21st chapter, verses 28 through 32, just four verses. And he says to these individuals that are listening 
And let's look at it. If you have your Bible, please take it out. You can follow along. I don't know what translation you're using, but uh, today I'm using the NIV. And let's look at God's word here in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. These are the words of Jesus. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Christ asked the listeners. Pretty simple question, an immediate answer. The first they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. We find here, also in the context of this setting, that John the Baptist was a messenger who prepared Israel for the Messiah's coming. He was sent by God, but when the religious leaders listened to him, they were skeptical of his message. In Israel's sinners, as we see the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they responded to the message. And most of Israel's religious establishment at that time made a big show of what was going on in their life. They made a big show of their obedience, but they refused to recognize what God was doing in the land. And Christ's judgment of Israel was based on the fact that their traditions, their lofty expressions of worship didn't translate into actual submission to God. They had all the right words to say. They looked the perfect way. But submission to God was questionable. So how today does this parable apply to us who are in this room, those of you that are listening? Pastor, what are you trying to tell us today? As we look at uh, the parable, as we, we see a visual of what it, perhaps it looked like of John the Baptist sharing the message of Jesus Christ with the individuals that listen. So what's the meaning of the parable of the two sons? Well, let me say that this parable should rock our world, that this parable should shake our spiritual bones, that this parable should penetrate our inner being and challenge us spiritually. If you today do not have a spiritual relationship with God, you believe in God, perhaps you've heard the things of God when you were younger, Today, this word speaks to you as it speaks to each one of us. We might have the best intentions with all of our promises of faithfulness, but promised obedience isn't necessarily obedience, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. Like the fig tree, the fig tree can look great. It can possibly convince each one of us from its appearance that things are beautiful. This is a perfect plant. It's, it's vibrant. 
But yet, Jesus is looking for fruit. He's looking to see the results. And some of you know the story of the withered fig tree. And thankfully, this parable that we are looking at today of the two sons reminds us of a great truth. And that great truth is that it's never, never too late to follow through with the things that God asks us to do. It's never too late. For the oldest person that may be listening today to the youngest, to those that you feel like you've blown it in life, for those that are hurting and feel like you can't make it on your own, that there's this giant void in your life, today perhaps is your day. Allow God to speak to you because in this parable, notice that Jesus does not ask those that are listening to him which of the two boys was good. Which of the two boys was a good son to his dad? He doesn't ask that because neither of them are particularly impressive when it boils down to it. You find a cocky attitude. You find an attitude of, I really don't care. And it's clear that even that this has to be the first son who is considered to be the better of the two as they answer Jesus and he asks, which son or which of these did do the will of his father? And like any parable, you have different aspects of symbolism. We have watched that. We have witnessed it. We've experienced it through these past weeks. For the listener, the Jew of that day, they would have understood the term vineyard. When he speaks of going and working in the vineyard, they know that that means Israel. They know that it's the world around them. In the work, they know that the work is to be God's work. And the father, they know in this parable would be God. And the sons would be two different classes of people that are in the world that day. As we continue on, we look at son number two. Let me bring your attention to him, the good son. The son who agrees to work would be the Pharisee. The son who agrees to do the work would be the religious Jews who outwardly affirm a relationship with God, yet inwardly they do nothing to further the kingdom of God. They look good. They're where they're supposed to be. They do the things that are expected of them. And there they are. Son number one, the other son would be the, the sinner. The pagans, those who have rejected God, the son who said, no, there's no way, I'm not going to do this. He would represent the pagans and those that reject God in the past. But through the good news of the gospel, through the message of John the Baptist, through the one who announces the coming of the Messiah, they have repented and they have begun to do a work that God has called them to do. So in this story, you can see, perhaps you can feel the frustration that Jesus is experiencing because for years and throughout history, these Jewish leaders, religious leaders have tasted God's goodness. They have tasted the favor of God, yet they still turn away from him. And they honor him with their lips, but they produce no good fruit. 
Any reputable organization usually has a mission statement. The mission statement of Evangel Temple is, is that we are a church that exists to lead people to a growing relationship in Jesus Christ. And the mode of operation that we do that through is worship, through serving, through inviting, and being a person that connects others with other Christians. That is our mission statement. Uh, I spent a few hours in Costco the other day, and I'm looking at their mission statement. It's found on the wall. It's pretty straightforward, but it's an important mission statement. Their mission statement says to continue to provide our members with quality goods and service at the lowest price possible. How do they do it? Well, they do it by obeying the law, taking care of their members, taking care of their employees, and they respect their suppliers. Mission statements. How are you going to get things done and what does it look like after you're done with it? Well, son number two, the good son that we look to, the guy who said, yay, dad, I'll do it, count on me, would be those who can talk a good game when it comes to God, and they can talk a good game when it comes to religion. They can talk a good game when it comes to their faith, and those good people who believe in God and try to be good, but it stops at that. The commands of God in the work of the kingdom have no place in their lives. We see in son number one, who would be referred to as the rebellious son. He would be those who have turned from God. The individual who's rejected God in at various points in his or her life. And they had a heart change. They had a heart change because they listened to the message of Jesus Christ. They've had a heart change because they're now active in the kingdom and actively obeying the calls and the commands of God. Which son best describes Charlie Arsenault? I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm just asking you to take my name out of the equation and ask which son best describes you. Are you somebody that knows all the moves and all the actions, but you're not doing much about it in the kingdom, or are you a person that's obeying God? You see, neither of these sons are perfect, and, and that wasn't the intent of Christ to say that, hey, one or the other is perfect. There are those who say yes to God and then follow through, but the intent of Jesus here, at least in my opinion, is to impress upon the disciples. Perhaps to impress upon you and I today. You who are listening and watching. To impress upon us that a relationship with God is more than just words. It's more than just saying it. A relationship with God is contributing to the kingdom of God. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. And in this case, and this scene that we're looking at, and repeated over and over again, I believe that Christ has dealt with these Pharisees. Not uh, necessarily um, 
about this particular subject matter, but he's dealt with them about the way they look, maybe the ceremonies they attend, the places they go, and the trappings of religion. And he is telling them that this is all about a heart change. It's all about obedience to God. Things change within your life. Christ wants to make sure that there's no doubt about this fact. In God's kingdom, it's not enough to talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. You see, it's not how high you can jump during a worship service or if you can do the twist or the mashed potato during a worship service or if you can do the swim or you can do the shout. What matters is when your feet hit the ground, how straight are you walking? How straight are you walking? The Father God says to us, son, go work in the vineyard today. Go work in the vineyard. And you know, not much has changed over the years, folks. Fathers are still after their sons to work. I was with my oldest son yesterday and we were talking about a project and I was trying to get him to get off dead center and cut some two by fours. I think all of us can remember mom or dad telling us, hey, do this, do that. And we're like, oh man, you know, I got other things to do in life other than peel potatoes. I got other things in life that I'm more concerned about. I have other things in life that I want to do and I absolutely do not want to do what you're asking me to do. Think about the worst job you've ever had. There's a show on TV that's called Dirty Jobs. And it usually makes the worst job we ever had look pretty good. But the worst job that I ever had is when I graduated from CBC and I went to Green Bay, Wisconsin and I was interviewed for a position, a part-time position as a youth pastor. And usually my wife can get a job before my interview is over because of her resume and her experience in, in the medical field. So I accept the job, so I have to get a part-time job. And a guy in the church says, look, um, you can come and work for us if you want and if you're able to. And I said, Fred, what do you do? He says, I own a pre-stressed concrete company. We make pre-stressed beams and send them all over the United States on large trucks that have to have special permits. Well, I said, I can do that. And so I went to work and I found myself there as a Central Bible College graduate working with literally about 25 convicts. They were tough guys. And we would go to work early in the morning and there was no walking off the job until all the concrete had been floated and been vibrated in its forms and the state inspectors came in and I learned a lot of jokes that I didn't need to learn. I learned a lot of words that I never had said in my life. And I was with these guys. And not only that, at the end of the day, I was worn out. Lil and I lived in an apartment house. And I literally, with a hard hat, crawled up the steps. We were on the second floor. I remember one time I came in the door, one of the quarterbacks for the Green Bay Packers, there were Packer players that lived in that unit, and Scott Hunter says to me, are you okay? 
I said, Scott, you think you've got it tough. You ought to spend a day where I'm at. I could not wait, and I was so happy when the 30th day of that job came around because the question was asked to me, are you going to join the union or not? And I had an excuse to say no, and I left. It was a dirty job. It was a tough, it was a tough job. And maybe because of the kind of work it was, maybe it's because, uh, you know, I had other plans, and, and obviously I did. But I'm talking to each one of us here. There's some jobs we don't want to do because we got other plans, and um, this is not the job that we want. And God's call upon us is not necessarily what we want either in life. The things that happen to us in life are not necessarily what we signed up for and the way things should go. But God wants us to be active in the fields. When we are a child of the king, he wants us to be active in the harvest. He wants us to be active in the work of the kingdom here on earth. And sometimes that work is not what it's all cracked up to be. We're too shy or we're too busy. We're too occupied with other things and and God's call rarely comes, by the way, at the most convenient times in our life. Sometimes it can be during a difficult period. So these two sons that we read about today responded in two different ways. The first son, he's the rebellion one, rebellious one. The response of the first son was nothing short of open rebellion. We don't know if he was angry about something when he was asked or told to go into the vineyard, but we do know that he was certainly stubborn. He was stubborn. And the moment that he heard the request, he said, I will not. I'm not going to do that. No, no talk about it. This is not non-negotiable. Uh, he didn't care to argue. He didn't explain his response. He wasn't going to waste his time considering it. He says, no, no way. The message was clear. I don't care. Don't bother me with this. Get someone else. It was open rebellion. We also see in the first son, um, and, and by the way, there may be some today that, are fall, that fall right in this category. You know, openly defying God and his call on your life the things that God wants to say to you. And God is offering you a relationship, every one of us today, to help us in this time of trial that we're going through, to help us with the sin in our life, to help us with the habits that we would like to break, to help us with whatever the situation is. But this son is openly living in a way that displeases God. And if you are openly living in a way that displeases God, don't try to justify it or put a question mark on it or just this is the way it is or this is the way I am. This is a warning to every one of us today. There may be other things that describe how you're feeling right now, but the reality is that at one point in our lives, we were all in the position of this rebellious son. Because in Colossians, the first chapter, verse number 21, Paul writes it. He says, of every one of us, we were so far away from God, you were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. 
Are you separated from God today? According to Colossians, the first chapter, the 21st verse. Are you separated to that point that your actions are not in line with what God would have for a person that is to tell the world that you are a Christian? All of us are separated from God at one point of our lives. And, and we've shared the mark of this first son of being rebellious, doing things my way. I'm going to do it this way by virtue of the sin that we're born into. There would have, have been very little good in this parable if the story ended here with rebellion. Because we find that there were other marks that this son lived out in his life. There's something else that this son is marked by. Not only rebellion, but repentance. Repentance. The NIV uses a word, I think it's there in verse number 29 of the text that we read this morning. And this is the way the NIV says it. He changed his mind. Changed his mind. That's in Matthew, the 21st chapter, verse number 29. This is really a weak translation, folks. Understand that. Because the Greek is... Is in the Greek, it's a word that, that actually means he regretted. He regretted this. That he repented. That he had remorse. He was seized by this remorse. And this son came to the point where he wished his rebellion had never happened. And he changed not only his mind, but he changes his attitude. He changes his heart. He changes his priorities. He changes his actions. And he comes to the conclusion, this was wrong. This is something that I need to clean up. And he expresses remorse. He expresses repentance and understanding that his father was right. And he went on to do what was asked of him. So repentance. It's a huge aspect of this parable. Sorrow's not enough. Feeling bad is not enough. Even actions are not enough in themselves. We need to come to the point in our life to recognize that our rebellion is there and we truly repent and we come to the Lord and say, God, I want to have a closer walk with you. I want to walk with you closer. Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow with no repentance brings death. So lack of repentance leads to death. But listen to the way that Colossians 1.22 puts it. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Praise God that this story is about repentance. That you and I can be cleaned up in the sight of God by saying, God, come into my life. Just ask him in your heart because repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness allows us who were once rebellious and sinful to stand before a holy God clean, stand before a holy God um, pure. And that's an amazing truth that we find in this word. The first son who says, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not doing this, dad. The first son's story was marked by rebellion. It's marked by repentance. But there's a third thing that we can take home from his life. 
and that is obedience. He was one that was obedient because obedience is the end result of repentance. True uh, repentance involves turning from your sin. You head in the opposite direction, and that direction is the way that God calls us to live. Paul speaks about it in Acts, the 26th chapter, verse number 20. He says, first, to uh, those in Damascus, and then to the ones in Jerusalem and all of Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. By their deeds. The proof that repentance has happened is in our action, in the way that we live, in the way that we obey, the way that we follow God's call upon our life. The first son changed his, his heart. His heart was changed and it was evident in the action. He went out and did the job. The second son, real quickly, he was compliant. No problem. Whatever you say, I'm, uh, Father, I'm going to do this. And on the surface, this was one who sounded like he'd be a good son. He hears the request and he immediately replies. How many parents would pass out if this was the immediate response of your child on everything that you asked them to do. Oh yeah, yes sir. Yeah, the word sir is even in, in there too in the, in the NIV. This son agrees to the request. Unfortunately, um, where things got better for the first son, they begin to get worse for this guy. Because while he agrees initially, we see that he's a slacker. He doesn't do the job. He, he, he just doesn't perform. He agrees, but nothing happens. He accepts the call, but there's no activity on his part. Looks pretty good on the outside, Pharisees doing all the right thing, and he looks good, but the repentance is not there. The rebellion is inside. And unfortunately today, there's too many Christians that fall into this category, or those that may call themselves Christians, those that your actions don't line up with, oh, I believe in God. Yeah, Jesus Christ is a savior. I believe in that. You can come to church. You can sing the songs that we sing. You can shake hands. You can bring your offering. You can put it in the box. And by the way, those of you that are viewing this morning, I don't want to let you off the hook. You can view every Sunday a church service. Okay. But when God says, work in my field, we decide, you know, I'm more comfortable right where I'm at. I'm more comfortable just doing nothing or not getting involved. God's call requires commitment to him and to his church. It requires stepping out and being uncomfortable at times. God's call is not a call to sit and to look good and just do the right things. It's a call to get dirty. It's a call to get messy. It's a call to be involved in the lives of those that are around you or the people that he puts in your path. If your relationship with your father is defined by being a slacker and not doing anything, I hope that this story makes you uncomfortable today. I hope that this parable rocks your world. I hope this parable is, is rattling your spiritual bones because this son's slackness leads to a character of disobedience. Disobedience. In Matthew 7, 21, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my father in heaven. The one son did the will of his father. And doing nothing is a sin in the same way that open rebellion is. Conforming to what God expects outwardly while refusing to change inwardly is empty and it's hollow and it does not please God. So for all the do-gooders, take this word to heart. Two very different responses give us two very different results in the parable of the two sons. A repentance led to the work of getting things done. And Christ said to those who are like this son, who turn away from this sin when they are confronted with the truth, they are entering the kingdom of God before, ahead of those who produce no results, of course. And he speaks about the tax collector and the prostitutes who turn their heart to God. He says, these are the people that are going to be in heaven Big talk leads to the work remaining untouched when you consider that the work here that we are talking about directly influences the eternity of those around us. May we tell the world that we're Christians. The other good thing from this parable is that there's always hope, folks, always hope. We're not left here high and dry. God is not looking for the ones who look perfect on the outside. He's not asking for unattainable perfection. He just wants obedience to the call, and he's calling us today. Repentance is our right response to sin. When we see our rebellion for what it is, let's kick into gear and come before God and repent. Obedience is shown through our action. And John tells us, if you love me, you obey what I command. Obedience is shown through our actions. Hope, um, repentance, and obedience, these are the lessons of this story. May we apply them to our lives today. May our hearts say, God, I want a closer walk with you. I want to be by your side. And Father, I want to do the things that you asked me to do. Let's pray together this morning. Those of you that are viewing, I ask that you would bow your head also and pray along with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us again and again how to live life that is pleasing to you. We pray that you'll continue to reveal yourself, that you'll help us to honor you, not only with our words, but also with our deeds. And Father, we pray that we will obey you, whether it's convenient or not. We pray that we will serve you, that we will honor you, that we will glorify your name and show you respect by doing what we know pleases to you, that we may walk closer with you. We pray that our lives will reflect who you are, We pray that our lives will glorify you and continually attract and lead others to you. We pray that we will be children that you can count on, Lord. Help us to be wise and not foolish and to be aware that we are ineffective if we do not walk the walk. If we just talk the talk, Lord, help us to be 
people who touch this world. Help us to remember to obey you. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with us, for giving us, for giving us, and for giving us a chance, chance after chance. And we pray that we'll never take your grace for granted. Hallelujah. God, we accept you into our hearts today. Say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. And we thank you, God, for that opportunity that you'll be our master. Amen.